University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. The young man was intense and often moody. Though he sometimes seemed aloof and self-important, he was a diligent overseer of the family farm and a conscientious manager. He was often annoyed with his younger brother. The brother was impatient and becoming restless, but this was nothing new. After all, as Jews, they were in the lineage of Cain and Abel. Their father was aware of their rivalry. Though he knew his younger son was cross and angry, he was not prepared when the boy came to him wanting his inheritance. He had always treated both his sons fairly and not shown partiality. He faced a dilemma. What should he do? If he withheld the inheritance, the boy would protest and become defiant. Why push him away even more? He loved both his sons. He would do anything for them. But how could he go against their traditions? When God led the Israelites out of Egypt and gave them the promised land, he instructed them to occupy the land. It was their inheritance. They obeyed and fought for the land all through the years. The Jewish practices weighed heavily on the father's mind. Should he contradict custom to satisfy his son's reckless claim? If he gave in, it would set a dangerous precedent. The servants would certainly know about it. His farm managers would have trouble with the workforce. The neighbors would surely get the word and wonder why he would go against tradition and their laws. And his older son always took himself and his position too seriously. He would be the owner of the estate one day. He was already preparing himself for running the property and would never understand if the father divided the estate prematurely. Yet the father loved the boy. Maybe if his son could go away for a while, he would find himself. He could sort out some things, his hostility and his confusion. It might give him some perspective. The father knew it would be a brutal lesson, but he felt he had to trust his son. He was confident his son would return home after he had gone his way for a while. So he made his decision. The young son left on his journey. He had a great time. He enjoyed the finest food and drink. He appreciated amusements he never even knew existed. He met entertainers he never could have visualized. He was generous with his funds and treated himself and his friends very well. Life was good. Then the country experienced a food shortage. The young man quickly used up all his resources. He had to sell everything. All his money and his new friends were gone. Then his luxurious living arrangements and extravagant way of life were a thing of the past. Having grown up as he did, he had no experience in supporting himself 
or doing without life's necessities. He had no idea where to turn. He couldn't go to his friends since his money had run out. With no one to help him with the predicament he was in, he didn't know where to go or what to do. He didn't even know where his next meal would come from. He was destitute, tired, hungry, and confused. And he felt all he felt was shame, he was alone, and he was afraid. But he located a job temporarily. Unfortunately, it involved feeding pigs. As a Jew, he was forbidden to touch pigs, but in his disgrace, he had to overlook the niceties to survive, but barely. He was hungry, he was humiliated, and he was desperate. Then he decided what he would do. He would go back home. He would beg his father to forgive him and let him work for wages. That was, that was all he could do. He would be a servant. So the son started on his shameful, miserable journey. It was a long trip. He was tired, hungry, and hopeless. He had no idea what to expect on his return. All he could hope for was his father's pity. As he neared the home, he began to dread meeting his father. What was happening back home? His father had been waiting and watching. His only hope was that his son would come to his senses and return home. How he longed to see his face. Each day, he waited on his balcony, searching the horizon for a glimpse of the boy. He would look out in the distance, straining his eyes to trace the tree line on the horizon. His eyes swept the skyline, inspecting any moving object. Whenever he saw something, anything that stirred, his heart would beat faster, his hopes would mount. When he could distinguish the moving object, his spirit would sink. Thinking of his son out in the world alone brought him at times to despair. Pleading for God's mercy on his son consumed his days. He gave in to tears during the night. He waited and hoped and prayed. He never lost faith that God would one day bring his son back. Then finally, the eventful day came when the father saw a shape on the road far off in the distance. He suspected it was his son. Could it be? Would God answer his prayer? Would he see his son again in his lifetime? Would he come home well and unharmed? The shape drew closer. The father's heart beat faster. His breathing grew shallow. He hurried down the steps and out to the road, almost tripping himself in the hurry. It did look like his son in the distance. Could it be? It had to be. He hoped it was his son. He quickened his pace. He lifted his robe. He began to run faster, faster, gasping for breath. He began to wave his arms. He yelled at the top of his voice. It was him. It was his son. He was coming home. He was lost and he was coming home. What was the boy feeling? He saw his father in the distance as he staggered and hobbled. 
his tattered sandals getting in the way. He could barely walk, but he kept limping faster and faster. The son's hands met his father's. They held each other tightly. He knelt at his father's feet with his arms wrapped around him. He tried to say his little speech, but only got as far as, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be your, called your son ever again. His voice trailed off. He couldn't continue. He had called him Father. He didn't call him Master. He always was and still was his son. His father cut off his son's words, kissing his head, holding him close, pulling him up by his arms. At this point, the son may have realized that he could not earn his father's forgiveness. Then his father called out to the servants, get the best robe, bring my ring, get some good sandals. He restored the wayward son to the status he once enjoyed as loved, honored, and respected. The father shouted for all to hear, my son has come home. He turned again to the servants, kill the fatted calf. We are going to celebrate. My son is alive. My son has come home. But there was a problem. The older son came in from the fields where he had spent the day in hard work. He was tired, dirty, sweaty, and hungry. What was that music he heard? What was going on? When a servant excitedly told him that his brother was home and their father was giving a party, he exploded. Always prone to chronic anxiety, the news just set him off. All those around him were watching and listening. As he loudly confronted his father, rudely reminding him that he had served him for years and never had a reward. Being uncertain of his father's love, he always kept him close by re behaving responsibly and acting the good son. He was angry with his father, and seeing himself as the victim, he voiced his hurt. His father appealed to his powers of reasoning, telling him his brother was lost and had been found. He added that everything he had belonged to the older son, but there was no response. He was trying to restore the family, but his son was pulling it apart. He couldn't share his father's love for his brother. It had to be all or nothing with him. Driven by his anxiety, he considered his brother reckless, wicked, careless, and foolish. Focusing on his rebellious brother, he was no longer responsible for his own attitude, and he would not be receptive to his brother. He withheld forgiveness. He had no understanding of grace. Let's ask ourselves a question. Can this father's mercy overcome the older son's hard heart and change the young son's irresponsible carelessness? We can always identify with those who are only partially healed. We are each capable of acting as each one of the characters in this story. We can repent here and remain stiff-necked there. The older brother wanted to exact a price for forgiveness. 
He forgot about the times that he had been pardoned and his actions excused. In his self-righteous heart, he believed that any freedom from his guilt had been earned by his good deeds. Little did he know that forgiveness is a gift that has been extended to each and every one of us. The church community has the opportunity to share God's grace with sinners. We don't judge, but instead receive them as members of God's family, extending the same grace to others that we have so freely received. Isn't this how God relates to us? This is the same way that University Baptist Church responded when you were invited to share God's love and forgiveness with the women in prison. Kairos Prison Ministry is a faith-based outreach to the incarcerated that came out of the Curcio movement. It is supported by volunteers from programs such as Curcio and the Walk to Emmaus, as well as from independent and denominational churches. The program includes a curriculum designed to build and, and promote pro-social character and behavior. You may be wondering why God would call a person like me to prison ministry. Well, I wondered the same thing. Kairos volunteers come from all walks and strata of life. They share a desire to follow Matthew 25, 36, I was in prison and you visited me. You may think these are not your kind of people, but we know that our Lord looks at them as his kind of people. Like the volunteers, the incarcerated women also come from a variety of backgrounds. As you can imagine, some have grown up in very sad circumstances. They are all in a place where they have had to face their shortcomings. In prison, they are assigned work details and some receive training in different skills. Many are able to attend college or seminary courses and they become mentors to their companions. After the women have completed the weekend retreat, they meet weekly in small groups for prayer and sharing with a Kairos volunteer. If you should think you possibly feel God's call to minister to the incarcerated with Kairos Prison Ministry, you can inquire about qualifications and training with the local Kairos community. You might want to sign up to be a part of the prayer effort for each weekend retreat. Each Kairos retreat weekend has opportunities for your support, including baking cookies, helping financially, writing letters, or preparing the meals during the weekend. For the recent retreat, each volunteer was required to provide 25 dozen cookies. I asked UBC for help and you provided 93 dozen cookies. Let me say a word about the cookies. Every woman on the compound in each camp receives a dozen cookies each day that we are in the prison. This is a tangible expression of Christian love and God's concern for a group of people who seldom find either in their daily lives. On the last night of each retreat, a service of forgiveness is conducted. The women are each given a dozen cookies to give to someone that they hold in unforgiveness. 
Some of them need to ask forgiveness. Others may need to forgive someone. This is a very sensitive and vulnerable event in the volatile, strained environment of prison. I would like to share a poem that expresses these thoughts better than I can. It is entitled, Judge Gently. Pray don't find fault with the one that limps or stumbles along the road unless you have worn the shoes he wears or stumbled beneath his load. There may be thorns in her shoes that hurt, though hidden away from view, and the burden he bears placed on your back might cause you to stumble too. Don't sneer at the one who is down today unless you have felt the same blow that caused her fall or felt the shame that only the fallen know. You may be strong, but still the blows that were his if dealt to you in the self-same way at the self-same time might cause you to stagger too. Don't be too harsh with the one who sins or pelt her with word or stone unless you are sure, doubly sure, that you have no sins of your own. For you know if the tempter's voice should whisper as softly to you as it did to him when he went astray, it might cause you to falter too. In closing, I will share with you an incident one Kairos volunteer told us about that happened at a Kairos retreat. The volunteer was standing by the coffee pot and an inmate come, came up and spoke to her. The inmate said, you don't know my name, do you? The volunteer admitted that she did not. The inmate said, you ladies come in here. You don't even know what we did to be put in here. The volunteer said, we don't care. The inmate paused, looked at her and asked, is that what God's love is like?